What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Sales and Marketing Built for Your Podcast. I'm really excited today. I am going to do kind of a best of series today. And I'm, I'm going to hit on like three episodes that I really loved and, and some nuggets from those three episodes. And so I'm going to walk you through. So Jared, the founder of Rev Genius, is going to hit on the people over the idea, which I think is a huge takeaway for anybody based on everything that's going on in the world today. Uh, Evans Putman is going to talk about how someone went from being a workaholic to working four days a week through monetizing a podcast. I know there's a lot of noise, positive noise about uh, people using podcasts. It's grown a lot last year and a lot of people want to get their voice out. So I thought this would be awesome timing for that. And then on top of it, Rob Jepson to, to finish things off is what sales leadership systems can you use to grow revenue? And I thought that would be totally applicable as well because you need help growing your income growing your sales and growing your business. So hope you really enjoy this today. These are three nuggets across the first 30 episodes. I, I know we've gone past that now, but I wanted to do a best of because these were, these were some nuggets that you might've missed or you might've caught, but they are definitely worth sharing. So hope you enjoy them. What's up, everybody? This is Ryan Staley and you are listening to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom Podcast where we share with you the underground ninja skills and tactics that the top sales and marketing leaders are using to create financial and lifestyle freedom. And the question that everybody is asking is, how do I create financial and lifestyle freedom for me? That is the question and this show is the answer. What was the moment that there was like a, a moment like, an aha moment that you had that just kind of opened you up to the like, hey, this is what I need to do and this is what people need. So I'd love to hear your your yeah, story on that. It was a tough job market and uh, and the opportunities weren't really there, right, during COVID. Uh, now they're coming about a bit more, but I just kept thinking in every downturn, there's an opportunity. But what, what does that look like? And I tried a lot of things around the space from like a lunch club idea, but like better if you're familiar with lunch club. And, and just testing different things, with, you know, with different people. Mm-hmm. Not even a lot of people, just speaking with friends that are in the space. Right, yeah. And, and I realized there's other people in my situation. Uh, you know, along the way, I met Galen, my co-founder. Uh, and I believe this was like in April, like end April, when we had our like first meeting. We met on LinkedIn or met through. And we'd been going to tons of webinars at the time. And, ton, you know, there was tons of content coming out, all virtual. Every day there was five different and And... We're like, this is great. And a lot of people wanted to go to it because there wasn't, people were out of work and people in work now were at home so they could, they could do stuff during the day. Mm-hmm. The initial idea for Rev Genius was to create essentially like uh, a platform that had all the events organized, right? Because, you know, right now you have influencer A promoting this event, B, whatever, and there's no platform where you could find it all. And, and that was really interesting to us. We started doing that like on a spreadsheet and building a community around that. Right. And um, because we wanted to do like super MVP of an MVP, as I call it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and it started with like a LinkedIn messaging thread where we had eventually 38 people there and realized that the people were the backbone of the idea, not the idea being like mm-hmm. driving the people. And that, and that was a big aha moment. And then we went to Slack and that's where we've been and, and, and grown quite a bit. And, um, you know, I don't want to say we pivoted, but that, that's a strong word. We, we, we 
built the product market fit around the people. So like, are the events important? Sure. But the people are more important. And, and, you know, listening to them was big and, and, and that's where Red Genius came about. And, and, you know, the mission is to have this, um, this platform that helps people support, inspire, educate, mm-hmm. you know, one another, like in the revenue world. So part of that is to each other, but and part of it's to give resources, right? So then you can enter, you know, the, the events and, and then some, right? Like there's, there's clearly much more than that. So that's where we are today. And it's just been a mission that like rang true, similar to the, the mission I had seven years ago, five to seven years ago when I started uh, Dizome magazine uh, to help emerging fashion designers. Super cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, I love that story. It's, I, I think something that you said was, was really profound there and that, you know, people were more important than the idea than essentially like the idea itself, you know, and I'm, I'm rephrasing it there because I didn't, I don't think I wrote it down exactly, but I'm taking notes because I want to, much more. I want to soak, soak all this in, man. But that, that's that's really, I mean, that's there's been businesses that proven to be ninety percent successful if you base it around the market versus a product approach, you know. And I think that's what you did. And so you just started from a grassroots campaign of thirty-eight people just reaching out to their network, and then it just kind of blew up from there. Or what did you guys specifically do? Four people. We were called ourselves the Four Musketeers: Galen and I, and uh, Ben Haber and cool. Stephanie Madsen. Um, and then one day we're like, we invite some more people. So like we meet people at these webinars and bring them in. And then, and then it just, yeah, we're like, Hey, can you guys bring a couple of people? And we had like our founding members set all of a sudden, like founding members are just anybody from our LinkedIn group. Like, yeah, yeah. that's it. Like the original 38, it might've, it might've got to 50 or something. Like there might've been like one offs, but you get the idea that uh, there, <laughs> there's some others that just like grew it up, but, uh, no, it's exciting. It starts with the people. And what we realized is as well, when you're building something for the people, you can't put any gates around that. Mm-hmm. You can't. It can't be exclusive if it's for the people. It's got to be inclusive. And, and, and there's a way to do inclusive and still have really good conversation and really big learnings. And it also has to be accessible, right? Like, um, affordable, you know, in a word. And when you have these things, everybody learns more, mm-hmm. learn quite a bit more, right? Um, if you're a revenue leader, you have a team of folks that's not, and, and you know, you, if you could dive into people that are in that knot, you're going to become a stronger leader and a stronger manager. You're going to have more mentorship opportunities, et cetera. Also what inclusive allows you to do is invite your whole team on, <laughs> You know, all of a sudden we're becoming a mechanism for the organization and helping drive sales. So, you know, that, that, you know, we're listening to the people, what they want, and, and we're setting some guardrails to really enable success and enable more people. Talk a little bit about that. Cause those are some, that's some really cool things that, that we've, we've spoken about offline that I think a lot of folks aren't doing that you can provide a ton of value. So can you get into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, the the thing about it was, is that we didn't do this with any forethought. We were just out there. And this is a lesson for everybody. Just do what you, you you have an inner voice that sort of guides you. And Mm -hmm. Pat was really good at bringing that out in me. And he would think one way and be like, 
I'm thinking we should try this. And I'm like, you know, I think we should try this. And we would try just anything that sort of popped up. And so getting back to the question, if you just try these things, eventually you will find the right thing. You know, it's like, I I was actually, I'm going to take this off on another divergent thing, but I think it's a good lesson. (laughs) You know, I I was, something popped in my head the other day. It was like, you know, that, that phrase failure is not an option. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that hit me was no failure is a requirement. Not, it is a, you know, it is not an option. It's a requirement. You should, you should definitely fail, especially as an entrepreneur. And we failed a lot in this process of creating the system. Um, But once we found it, it was like striking gold. And basically actually Russell Brunson from ClickFunnels, uh, the founder of ClickFunnels, he said this, and I found this in my notes somewhere when I was just going through looking for some inspiration one day. And he actually mentioned that publishing plus a list equals entrepreneurial freedom. And that's when I look back at our system. I was like, that's what we were doing. When, once we started focusing, we already were publishing. As we discussed, we had a podcast. My, my um, client had a podcast. And we were doing great at building an audience. And we had really great numbers. But it wasn't until we focused on a specific way to build our list, our email list, that our revenue started skyrocketing because we found that the audience really wasn't hard to build. You know, we created, by the time I quit working with Pat, we had over four and a half million listeners, listener downloads. So obviously it was probably less listeners, but still four and a half million listens of the podcast. That's a lot of ears hearing your message, which is really important. So we created a system to do that. Then it wasn't until we decided we have to build a list. We have to figure out a way to attach a funnel to this, right? So an automated sales funnel at the time we called it an evergreen customer identifier funnel. Um, one of my little terminologies that just popped in my head one day. It's not, wor- Based- that's not lengthy at all. Not lengthy at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not liking it. I know. Right. But um, so that was the important thing because Pat wanted to, all he wanted to do was do the podcast You know, he was already an excellent success at what he had done. He had been a a billion dollar real estate agent, number one in the world for two different companies. And he wanted to share his knowledge. He had written New York Times bestseller. He'd written a book about this. And he wanted to share the way he had gone from being a workaholic to barely working like maybe four days a week at most. So he could spend time with his family. He didn't want to miss his daughters growing up. And and so that was his goal, his mission to get that kind of knowledge out to other real estate agents and help them. And we were doing great at that, but we weren't building a list yet. So once we started building a list, that funnel of audience listeners sort of narrowed. Then that list ended up being 80 percent of our revenue, like our highest value customers, the repeat buyers, the ones that spent the most. And that list was also one of the reasons why he was able to sell the business. I I figured you probably like, when are you going to bring it back around to that? But that, that was the key. And I'm telling everybody, you hear this all the time, build your list, build your list. And I'm guilty of it. I get slack on it. A lot of people get slack on it, but we created through the podcast, what I call like the podcast to premium Mm-hmm. process is basically just a funnel from the beginning to end. And you and, you and I were talking about this before. It's 
It's um, I call it the capture, cultivate, convert, and close method within that funnel. So basically you're capturing the attention of your ideal customers, listener customers is what we called them. You, you capture their contact information, their email information, then you cultivate them through the right kind of content that overcomes objections, that um, delivers value, that teaches them things, testimonials, case studies, things like that. Then you take them from that part of the funnel, and that's generally your podcast, but it can also be like your live videos. It can be your YouTube videos, um, and it can be things that once they get on your email list, you're sending them to that content to, to cultivate them basically from a cold to a warm to a hot lead. Then the next step in that process is the convert, and this is where the selling happens, which is great for people that don't like to sell the selling happens automatically in your core content, which is usually like a webinar or a long VSL. I was telling you about putting together a bird's eye view VSL where I basically teach something. So that's your core content that sells. That's part of that system. And then if you're selling, which I tell, I try to get all my clients to do, I think it's the best thing is to sell a high ticket premium product. That is where you close. So in that convert area, in that funnel, you have just, hey, if you like this, if you'd like to find out if we can help you book a call, they jump on a call with you. Well, the selling's done at this point. So that's why we call the last part close because you don't have to sell on the phone. If you don't like to sell on the phone, guess what? You don't have to. The selling should be taking place in your podcast content, in your video content, in your core content to where when they jump on the phone, all you have to do is listen to them, make sure you can help them and then show them that you can help them and just, you know, go ahead and get them over the mindset issue of handing over the money. And that's it. So, um, so yeah, it's a nice little process. And we put that together and didn't realize it at the time when we were doing it, that it was going to turn out that way. We were just trying to solve problems. You know, at first it's like, okay, we need an email list. So let's solve that problem. And it, well, it started with, we need a bigger audience. Let's solve that. We got that taken care of. We need an email list. We solved that, got that taken care of. We need to figure out how to sell without selling constantly one-on-one in the podcast, you know, pitching. We wanted the podcast to, to be nothing but value. We wanted to have something that sold 24 seven. So we figured that out. And then once people came in and they bought, we had sort of a trigger where if they purchased you know, a certain amount, like they were a hyperactive buyer, what we called them. If they bought something, we immediately reached out to them via phone and upsold them into more expensive sort of all-inclusive package, which was like a premium product. Mm -hmm. Um, But we did that over the phone. And once we did that, it was like, and Pat actually says this in a testimonial that he did for me. And he's like, you know, these are his words. He said, it was like the, the podcast and the business became a virtual ATM where the money was available anytime at that point. And he didn't have to do anything anymore except for do what he loved, go on the podcast and speak and share his message and help others. So it was a win-win for everybody involved. And then because of that audience growth that we had focused on and because of that email list and that brand that we had built, you know, by having such a big audience that he was able to sell that business, you know, because at that point we had team members, we had systems in place. We had that, that email, you know, the list is really value. That's what, you know, I'm sure most people 
that listen to your show probably think that too. If they're in the sales, it's like, you know, the fortunes and the follow up is the one thing people love to say, but also the list is like, that's where your money is. And so many entrepreneurs fail to build that list. And I've even heard other podcast coaches tell people, don't worry about building a list. It's all about the exposure. And I disagree 100%. My coach, who is a, I think he sold at least like 10 million in digital products, digital coaching, if not more at this point, he calls it like the sales over um, sales over fame content marketing, which is what I think is the perfect way to think of it. You know, you need to think of it as yes, it's content, but it's also part of your sales machine. It's part of your business. It's part of that system. I made such massive mistakes, right? Uh, I thought that, you know, I tried to make salespeople in my image. I was the sales version of God. I will, I'm here to make man, salesman in my image, right? And um, no, there are, I have these 21 laws of sales leadership now. And it's amazing how getting some of these leadership laws right changes everything for you fast. Well, let's talk about that, man. You know, what, what are the top, the top five most important sales leadership laws? That they- yeah, let's, let's pick a couple of them. We can unpack a, a few of them here quickly. I love this, especially I have a program that fast, tra- it's, a, it's a new manager fast track program. And it's fun. I try to take what would take people 18 months to learn and condense it down to three months, right? And, and so I start with some of these laws. Law one is one that surprises people, uh, Ryan. The answer is, the law is, law one, not everybody loves you, okay? Not everybody loves you. And that's super important to understand, Okay you have three kinds of people when you, when you work with an organization, you have those that love you, you have those that hate you. And then you have those in the middle that are the swing group, love group, hate group, swing group. And it's interesting because when you get that job, that sales leadership job, I was the rookie. I was the person that was like, I'm the leader. You're going to do it my way. And you know, the hate groups like we'll see. <laughs> right. And you know, there are some people who be love group. Oh man, I love your approach. I love your style. I love your expertise. I love your experience. And, and they want to parrot you. They want to follow you. You get your groupies, but you're going to have other people. When I say they hurt you, hate you. They really do Ryan. And, and, and their objective is really important for you. To know, they want to either hurt you or they want to slow you down. They do. And they never hurt you in public. They never hurt you in front of you. They always do it behind your back. They always do it at the water cooler. And the bigger your organization, the bigger the love group and hate groups are. And so the love group wants as much as you as they can get, but the hate group wants to find ways to slow you down. And then the group in the middle, they don't trust you. And it's not that they don't, that they hate or love you. They're just like, A, I don't know if I can trust that you know what you're doing. And B, I don't know if, if um, I trust who you are as a person. It's those two things. Because at the end of the day, there's two common things that you have to have if you want to be elite as a leader, I've learned. Listen, Ryan, I've seen tons of leadership approaches. 98% of the modern sales teams have a sales process. Only 3% of those teams have a leadership process. This is one of the reasons. No, I'm dead serious. 3%? 3. Because if I was to say, what's your sales process, you'd be able to tell me what it is. But when I say, okay, now let's break down your leadership process, that's a harder question to answer. Yeah. And so there's two things that I found are common. Number one, you've got to build trust. That wins over the swing group. Number two, you've got to achieve results. You can't have one without the other. So if you have trust and no results, does that work? Mm-hmm. No. What about I have results but no trust? Does that work? Maybe for like a month. Yeah. And then only long enough to, for you to fund someone else's job search. Yeah. So your leadership system 
needs to be creating both of those things, both trust and results. And if you can do those things, I have a whole pro, like I've made that my passion. That's my thing is how do you do that for salespeople? Those same things would apply in leadership in general, but the way you apply it to salespeople is a little different. So that's law one. Not everybody loves you. And so I actually, Ryan, I have tactics for the love group. I have tactics for the hate group. I have tactics for the swing group. And uh, you want to amplify the people in the love group. You want to amplify it with the swing group. And if so, let, I'll just give you quick. I, I should shut up and see I mean, if you want to even yeah. add, go here. The love group, the biggest mistake is we fail to love the love group. You know, we take them for granted sometimes. Yeah. If that makes sense, right? Yeah. And so it's easy to do. And you don't realize you've screwed it up until you have a problem. And so you want to amplify the love group. On the swing group, what do you guess the biggest mistake is there? I, I would love to get your take. What, what do you think the, the biggest mistake on the hate group is? Not swing group, hate group. The hate group, think of he hate me. Remember from the XFL? Of course, know. yes. That's, that's, that's and, then, and remember, they want to hurt you or slow you down. So what do you think the biggest, what trap would you suspect a sales leader falls into unsuspectingly with the hate group? spending too much mind share and focus on them. Great way of saying it. I say the same thing, but different. Okay. We, we try to win them over. Yeah. We try to say, I'm going to take them from this group. I'm going to at least move them to swing. No, don't try to win them over. Hate group is a tough pill to, to swallow or fix. Okay. And so uh, our, my advice to you is you just want to neutralize them. You want to make it so the hate group can't affect the swing group. That's all you want to do is neutralize them. Mm-hmm. And so I've got eight or nine tactics to neutralize the hate group. And so the, so the biggest mistake on the love group is we take them for granted. The biggest mistake on the, on the hate group is we spend too much time on them or energy trying to win them over because you probably can't. Yeah. Okay? What about the swing group? Give us the swing group, man. Swing group, you got to earn their trust. And trust comes in three things, right? You're honest, you're helpful, you're reliable. Those are the three things that you have to be able to do for them because if they see that you know what you're doing and that they can, that they believe what you're saying, now you have the opportunity to build trust and results. So, and, and I, I love it, man. That, that's one of the things that, that I think you're excellent at is breaking it down into buckets, making it simple and then actionable tactics. So, so let's take that a step further. How would you say like when you had a thousand, not direct reports, but a thousand people in your organization, I thought I heard you say 180 yeah. managers. Leaders. Yeah. 180 managers. Yep. And so what I would ask you is like, how did you scale trust across that many people? Like what were, were key things that you did that you saw work really well? That is a great question. And if all we talk about in this show is how do you build and scale trust? You know, I guess the first thing that you got to say is if you look at what makes for a leadership system, mm-hmm. right? a leadership system, well, there's three things. Your approach to leadership, first of all, right? Second of all is the culture that you build. And third is the behaviors that you allow to exist. Is that fair to say? Repeat that one more time. That, that was good stuff. So You're, people listening, yeah. wait, you don't want to write this down. I'm, pull, I'm, pulling, a, I'm pulling a page out of Rob's book. Yeah. You don't want to write these three things down. This is a good right. sign. Go. So if you're going to be building a leadership system, and remember only 3% of companies I found and studies have shown it actually have a system. Most of the time we hire someone, we give them a team, we give them a product, we give them a territory, and then we give them the quota, and then we leave them on their own. And so that's why leadership systems are so big. It's your leadership approach, and there's like these laws of leadership and lots of things go to that. The culture that you intentionally build, and third is the behaviors that you allow to exist. And at the end of the day, I would say we're competing 
on those three things, leadership, culture, and behavior, because everybody's dealing with the same events. We all had COVID hit us. We have all had whatever hit us. Everybody's dealing with the same exact events. So what you're dealing, what you compete on is how you respond. And that's why it's leadership, uh, culture, and behaviors. Okay. And so that takes me to trust. How do you do that? So since I told you behaviors is one of them, it's very important if you want to be a leader that has trust, because you got to have trust and you got to have results. You got to have both, right? Mm -hmm. Trust is earned through behavior, not title. Trust is earned through behavior, not title. And so if you want to earn trust, it's fun. I remember I spoke at the Strategic Account Management Association years ago, and they gave me this, this topic. I used to speak 40 or 50 times a year, Ryan, until nobody speaks. I, and, and now it's different. So um, now I'm learning how to do it through a different medium. They wanted me to give a speech on how to be a trusted advisor. And that was a buzzword. Still, I hear it sometimes. And I kind of mocked the title. That's what they wanted me to do. And when I did it, I the whole speech was making fun of the term trusted advisor. Okay. I blew it up a little bit. So I had everybody take, this is going to be good for everybody to listen to. I had everybody take 60 seconds to write down all the synonyms they could write down for trust. You know, what does trust mean? Since everybody wants to have it, everybody wants to be it, write it down. So everybody wrote down. And so then 2,500 people in the crowd, I told them to kind of huddle up in groups of five or six or whatever, people in front of you, people behind you, people next to you, share your list and have someone read their list. And if even one person in your group didn't have that word, ever, you have to scratch it off. And we were looking for the words that everybody in the group said equals trust. I have done that exercise in kickoffs. I've done that exercise in keynotes. I've done that exercise several hundred times, Ryan. And nobody ever gets more than two words. Most groups have zero words that everybody agree means trust. That's interesting, okay? So I would tell your listeners, do this exercise. Have them write down the synonyms, break them into groups of five or six, have people read their words. And you don't have to have everybody in the group read their words because if one person reads it, if one person says, I didn't have it, you scratch it. But if that other person says, wait, I have some, well, the first person that read it didn't have it, so you got to scratch it. Very quickly, you find out everybody has a different opinion of what trust means. That's why trust is earned through behavior. I found there's three words that show up most often that everybody can agree on. Okay. Three. The first one is you're honest. Okay. The second is you're helpful. The third is you're reliable. So you want to create experiences as a leader and as a salesperson, frankly, that give you the opportunity for them to experience that you're honest. So you tell them something and then they have an experience where they find that you do what you say. Or you say, this is the facts. And then when they experience something, they say, it is the facts. You want very quickly for them to experience your honesty, not hear about your honesty. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want them to experience your helpfulness, not hear about your helpfulness. So you start thinking, what are the ways that I can be helpful? If you're a salesperson, how do I help a customer? If you're a leader, how do I help a salesperson? If it's reliable, you want to engineer experiences where they see he or she does what he or she says. If she says, I'll get this to you by whenever, make damn sure you get it to them by whenever. And so if there's three things you want to do to scale trust, first, remember that trust is shown by behavior and make sure you have behavior create experiences where you are now experienced or observed as honest, observed as reliable and observed as helpful because that is something that the love group will amplify faster than you ever thought. That is something that will, neutralize the hate group, even if they still hate your guts, they can't say anything. 
because the swing group will say, hmm, that doesn't make sense to me. So, so have behavior that consistently shows those three things. That's a short answer to a longer, to a longer question. That was the short answer? Yeah. Sorry, man. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. It was, yeah. I mean, it was absolute fire. What you just gave right there was, uh, you, you can tell you, you have ninja skills. In the Thank you. Leadership because of just your depth and understanding. And it, like, as you were talking, I was internalizing what you're saying. And I'm like, yeah, it, it totally is experience-based. It's not, you know, that's, that's where people kind of identify how you show up for them. You know, there's actually three kinds of, of character of trust too, Ryan. Okay. They're going to see character, competence, and connection. So character is how ethical you are. Competence is how good you are. Connection is how much they relate to you. You can build trust on all three of those things. And so I spend a lot of time helping leaders build trust because that's one of the things you've got to be good at. And it's a muscle, man. It's not something that either you have or you don't. It's important to treat those things as skills because the more skillful you are at it, the more authentic you'll be. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I know that time is one of the most valuable resources, so I truly honor and appreciate you coming along this journey with me. One of the things that I wanna ask you is if you really truly enjoyed this and know someone that this can make an impact on, please share this episode with them. If you're on a journey for financial and lifestyle freedom, it is always exponentially better if we're building a tribe with like-minded people who are on the same journey. In addition, I have an amazing PDF for you that could be career changing in terms of the content. Essentially what it is are the top 10 questions that every big customer is asking behind closed doors that no one is telling you about. I'll put a link for it in the show notes, so check it out. It's my free gift for you for being a part of this launch and being a part of this journey with me, and I hope to see you soon.